Good morning, everyone. The scriptures reading this morning will come from 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses six through nine. If you're using the Red Pew Bible, it'll be found on page 953. Read with me, please. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. May God bless the hearers and the doers of his word. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. We've got a number of visitors that have come to be with us and we're especially glad that you're here. Thanks so much for your presence. We have some very special guests among us this morning. As has been noted by Tom already, we've been having a missionary summit uh, this past couple of days. A lot of work, a lot of preparation has gone into this. But we have right now a number of our English-speaking missionaries in our assembly among us. And if I could just ask you guys for just a moment, would you please stand if you're an English-speaking missionary among us? Let me introduce briefly who these folks are. We've got uh, right here in front of me, Sean and Tanya Berry. They come from, uh, I was going to say South Dakota, but they're from Montana. They, uh, they work in Roundup, Montana. Sean and Tanya, raise your hands. There you go. That's them. David and Paula Tarbett behind them are from New Milford, Connecticut, where they do a great work. And again, Wes and Terry Autry working in Cambodia, living in Denver a lot of the time, but doing a lot of trips and working with the brethren there. Kirk and Karen Israel among us. They're from Vermont, Castleton, Vermont. And then we've got Nate and Katie over here, Miller. They are from Huron, South Dakota. These people work in some very cold places if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> and not to be left behind, but we've got Colton Balance and his wife Katie and his family there with us as well. Colton is from Conifer, Colorado. Again, another cold place up in the mountains. Thank you very much, everyone. Please, please be seated. We're so thankful for you and for the work that you do. I want you to think about this. It's not very often that we have all of our missionaries, at least the great majority of our missionaries that we support in one place at one time. And it's a special occasion for that reason. Incidentally, we also have eight of our nine Mexico missionaries who are here this weekend as well. They're, uh, they're worshiping over in the uh, Hispanic assembly this morning, but we'll all be together, Lord willing, this evening in this room. Keep them in your prayers as well. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. And if you've been a part of any of this summit for the last three or four days here at Katy, you'll know that there's a lot of good news about the works that these folks are doing in their various places. And we want you to know as a congregation, we love you as missionaries. We love what you're doing. We're thankful for your work. And we're so encouraged to be able to get to see you and to hug you and to greet you face to face. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this particular weekend. And the church said, Amen. let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for missionaries. We're thankful for people who devote their lives to serving you and to winning souls. 
We pray, Father, for the Balance family and for the Miller family. We pray, Father, for the Autrys and for the Israels and for the Tarbits. We pray, Father, for the Berry family as well. We're thankful, God, that they've come our way this weekend. We're thankful for the work that they do and for the people that they touch and influence for the gospel. Father, as we lift up their hands, we pray that they'll be edified and encouraged and strengthened by this, by this time together. We pray most of all, Father, that you'll strengthen them in your service, that they might reach more souls and bear more fruit for you before it's everlastingly too late. Thank you so much for relationships through the gospel. Thank you so much for work that we can do together as, God's pe- as your people. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to ever strive to do more, to, bring, to win souls and to glorify you. Thank you so much, Father, for this occasion, this time of worship that we have, and may you be exalted and glorified in everything that all of us do. Through Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. One more special guest, and I'm going to embarrass him, but we have with us this morning, Brother Mark Bicknell. Mark, you want to stand up for us real quick? Just briefly. I don't want to embarrass you too much. Thanks, Mark. Mark was converted years ago, and he lives in Europe. And Mark live streams our services every Sunday morning. He lives in Spain. There is no congregation that he's been able to find that is accessible. If you would like to do a mission work, I'm sure Mark has some things he'd love to talk to you about where he lives. It's, a, uh, it's, it's an area of, of the world where um, the gospel needs to go. And we're very thankful that Mark is here with us this morning. This is the first time Mark and I have met face to face. And we have, we have emailed and we have FaceTimed and we've called and talked to each other and had a relationship, but I got to hug him for the first time this morning. We're really glad that Mark is here with us. Um, Incidentally, Mark, back when the Ukrainian war began earlier this year, Mark took in a refugee family from Ukraine. He didn't know them at all. And uh, they had, they had fled as far as Spain and needed a place to stay. And so he took in a, a, a man and, and, and uh, his daughter and then his granddaughter. And they, uh, they have finally gotten on their feet, Mark says, and they're, they're working there in Spain now. But Mark did a wonderful thing as a Christian man in helping them in that crisis. We're glad you're here with us, Mark. We are fellow workers. The Bible tells us so. We're not all by ourselves out on an island doing work for the Lord without others helping us. I'm reminded of the story of the turtle on the fence post. If you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know for sure? He had help getting there, right? (laughs) And all of us, whether we're missionaries, whether we're serving as New Testament Christians, We're on a fence post and we've had help getting to where we are. And we're so thankful for those who help us and those who work with us in the Lord's service. I'd like to open this study this morning by asking the question, what is a missionary? And I'm going to give you a very broad definition because I think this is biblical. A missionary is one who loves God. He loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22, verse 37. But not only that, a missionary is one who loves souls. He loves his neighbor as himself. And there is no more loving thing that we can do for someone than to save their souls, than to share the gospel with them. We don't really love people until we talk to them about their eternity. Matthew 22, verse 39. Who is a missionary? One who follows Jesus. The Lord said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And brethren, a missionary is someone who has taken that invitation seriously. They want to follow the Lord. They want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. 
A missionary is one who makes disciples, following and obeying the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. We are not just trying to baptize people, we are trying to make them into followers of Jesus. Baptism is an essential component of doing that, but baptism is not the goal. The goal is discipleship. The goal is followers of Jesus Christ. And a missionary keeps his eye on the ball when it comes to making disciples true followers of the Lord. Who is a missionary? One who works with others. One who works with others. If you got your Bible, open to the passage that Will read just a moment ago. And let's look again at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 9. Listen to what the apostle tells us. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, he's talking about his mission work in Corinth. And he talks about what's happened. How did people come to obey Jesus' will? How did they come to become disciples of Christ? How did these people come to become Christians? And he tells you the process. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God. Notice how the emphasis is on God and his partnership in all this. But God gives the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters. Just think about that in verse 7. He's saying... I'm not important and Apollos is really not that important and quit, quit tying all your allegiance to me and to Apollos and to Peter and other people. We're not anything. It's God who's important, verse seven. He's the one who gives the increase. He who plants and waters are one, verse eight. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. But we are God's fellow workers, verse nine. We're God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. I want to take that expression, we are God's fellow workers this morning and think together with you about this. Because if you look at the definition of a missionary that's here on the screen, I want you to notice that that actually should apply to every New Testament Christian no matter where we are. Every New Testament Christian is to have those qualities, those characteristics. I was in a church building one time and as I walked out the back doors, there was a sign above the door. You are now entering your mission field. Brothers and sisters and friends, we are missionaries to the city of Katy, Texas. We are missionaries to Houston, Texas. And we're thankful for people that will work in places like San Luis Potosi, Mexico. And people that will work in places like Roundup, Montana and New Milford, Connecticut. But we are all of us missionaries and we are all fellow workers with God. He is to get the glory. He is the one that we exalt and praise. We don't put exaltation and praise on ourselves, but rather he's the one that gets the glory. I want you to think about this expression, we're God's fellow workers from three perspectives this morning. Perspective number one, we are workers. There is work to be done. There are tasks to accomplish. There are souls to save. And God wants all Christians to be workers. Often we overlook that. Let's let somebody else do the work. Let's pay somebody to do the work for us. But we, the Bible says, all of us individually are workers. Think about what happens when we work improperly. Jesus said some people are foolish builders. They hear, but they do not do, and therefore they build their house on a foundation of sand, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Some Christians act this way. Sometimes we are like barren trees. 
We're supposed to be bearing fruit, Luke 13, verses six through nine, but there's none that's produced. And every season, the Lord comes to us looking for fruit. Where is the fruit of my life? Where's the evidence that I obey the Lord and that I'm working in his field? Some are fruitless branches. John 15, one through eight, Jesus says, I am the vine and you individual Christians are the branches. And if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing, he says, John 15, verse five. And some Christians are fruitless branches if we're not careful. Some are foolish sleepers, like the virgins that were supposed to keep their lamps trimmed and keep awake, but they didn't. And then when the bridegroom came, they were out of oil. They were out of opportunity to welcome him in. And some have turned off the lights of their heart and they have gone to sleep spiritually. How about you? What work are you doing in the Lord's kingdom? What work are you doing in his service? We're all of us workers. We're all of us missionaries, according to God's definition. Some are what Jesus describes as wicked and lazy servants. Matthew 25, verse 26. Wicked and lazy servants. Because we take the talent, we take the opportunity, we take the stewardship that God gives us and we just bury it in the ground and we go about living our lives, doing what's important to us, but never once thinking about God's will and what he wants us to do because brethren, God has put us in a position in our lives where he expects us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He expects us to be the kind of influence and example that Jesus would be if he were living our lives. Christ lives in me, Paul would say, Galatians 2, verse 20. We are to be workers in God's field, workers in his vineyard. Why? Why should we work? Let me offer some suggestions. What motives do people have to serve the Lord faithfully? I would argue biblically that the first motive is when we see the greatness and the glory of God, worship and exaltation of God ought to lead naturally to work in his vineyard. In Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight, Isaiah saw the vision of God high and lifted up on his throne and the train of his temple, uh, the train of his robe filled the temple and there were seraphim flying around and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory there in Isaiah six. And after Isaiah's sin had been purged, God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah raised his hand in Isaiah 6 and verse 8, and he said, here am I, send me. Don't miss the pattern. Isaiah saw the greatness and the glory of God, and Isaiah was moved to active working service in the Lord's vineyard. We need to see the greatness and the glory of God afresh in our day and to understand who it is that we're serving because when we understand what he's like and what his will is, how could we say anything other than, here am I, God, send me, I volunteer. We're workers. We ought to work because faith in in his very nature is obedient, saving faith. Faith without works is dead, James says in James 2.26. The whole purpose of Paul's ministry was to produce the obedience of faith, Romans chapter one, verse five. If we have a faith that's real, a faith that's active, a faith that's vibrant, a faith that is saving, a faith that pleases God, it is to be an obedient faith. In what area of your life do you need to obey the Lord's will? Why do we work? Because saving faith is obedient faith. Why do we work? Because it is an expression of love for Jesus himself. Our service to others, our obedience to his commandments 
is a, is a way of saying to the Lord, I love you. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Why do we work? We work because in Ephesians 2, verse 10, when we were saved, we became something different than we were before. Ephesians 2, 10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. I often think about that passage in Ephesians 2 verse 10 and I think about the movie Pinocchio where Geppetto makes the little puppet and the little puppet does what the puppet maker wants him to do. God says, I have fashioned you, I have crafted you just like an expert fashioner of, of, of wood. I fashioned you into my workmanship and you were created for a purpose, for good works. That's what you're for. That's what, you're done. That's what your purpose is as a Christian. We are his workmanship. Why should we work? Because of the example of Jesus himself. In John 9, 4, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. There will come a time in your life and mine and your experience and mine where you will no longer be able to do some of the things that you have the privilege of doing right now. For one reason or another, opportunities are fleeting. And Jesus himself said, I am making the most of the opportunities that God presents me while it is day. We work because we know the night is coming. John 17, five, Jesus prayed as he contemplated the cross, Father, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Jesus is our great example. He was a worker. Why are we workers? Because more than anything else in this world, we want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. God will not say, well-intentioned. I know you meant well, never got around to doing what was right, but I know you meant well. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, well done. It's what we do that matters. It's how we act that matters. It's how we obey that matters. Matthew 25, verse 21, those words are the only words any of us ought to want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're workers. All of us are missionaries and we are to be workers in the Lord's kingdom. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking about your life if you're not in the service of the Lord, I'm not just talking about what we do when we gather together and serving publicly. And things. I'm not even talking about those kinds of things so much. I'm talking about the way that we treat our families and the way that we treat the people around us and whether or not Jesus ever comes to mind in the rest of our week, that's what it means to be a worker in the Lord's kingdom. And all of us are to be workers. I want to tell you something about what missionaries do. Missionaries go to places like Conifer, Colorado, and missionaries go to places like New Milford, Connecticut, and they look around and they don't see many people who are trying to obey the Lord. And you know what they do in those circumstances? They get busy working. They get busy teaching. They get busy sharing the gospel. And sooner than later, God gives the increase because that's how God works. And you and I need to start thinking that way domestically as well. We're workers, but not only that, as you look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, we are workers together. Now, this adds a different dimension. In Psalm 133, verse 1, the psalmist wrote, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
it is a good thing and it is a pleasant thing for God's people to love each other and to work together. A cooperative spirit, that is Christ-like, that is biblical. And I've loved, it. I've loved visiting with all of our missionaries. I heard Kirk say something the other day. He talked about sowing seeds. Kirk and Karen, his wife, they, they have a competition about how many seeds can they sow. And you know what they're talking about when they talk about sowing seeds? Sharing scripture with people because if the seed is the word of God, Luke 8 verse 11, then I ought to get scripture into my conversations. And so they go around through the supermarkets and through the houses around in Castleton, Vermont where they live and they're sowing seed intentionally. But you know what? Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. Paul knew that it wasn't just about my personal efforts to sow the seed. Who knows who else might come along and water that seed later on? Who knows who else might come along and do something or say something or have an experience with this person who needs to know the gospel? My point is, the Bible's point is, evangelism is a partnership. Who sowed the seed? Sometimes we don't even remember and people don't remember where that seed was first sown and that really doesn't matter but be a seed sower and realize that we're workers together. That's a biblical idea. Paul spoke about Philemon as one of his dear friends and fellow workers. Paul and Philemon weren't anywhere close to each other when he wrote the book of Philemon. They were hundreds of miles away from one another, but you're my fellow worker, he said to Philemon. You remember the paralytic, the man that that could not get up and walk? He had his four friends to help him, didn't he? to lower him down through the roof while Jesus was teaching there in Mark chapter two, verses one through 10. That's a picture of what Christianity is like. It's the turtle on the fence post. I know I had help getting here. The paralytic had faith, but so did his friends. The walls of Jerusalem were built in the days of Nehemiah by cooperation among people who had a mind to work. Nehemiah four, verse six. When you read Nehemiah chapter three, you'll see it's a list of names It'll say, this family, this person built this part of the wall, and then next to him was somebody else, and next to him was somebody else, and next to him was somebody else. And the, the, the image that's presented there in Nehemiah chapter three is that everybody, everybody was working together. The walls were built because everybody pitched in, because they cooperated, because they worked together. The early church gives us the example, striving together for the faith of the gospel, Philippians 1 verse 27. We are to cooperate and to work with others in saving souls, in sharing the gospel for the good and the glory of God. What happens when we fail to lean on others? I dare say that some of us have a Lone Ranger mindset. I'm gonna do it myself. I'm not gonna delegate. I'm not gonna let anybody else do something for me. I'm not gonna let anybody else work with me. Some of us have that mindset. What happens? What are the consequences when we have that idea? Whether it's in the local church, whether it's as a missionary, what happens? Think about this. It wastes abilities and opportunities. When you think about what Paul writes about the church in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the church being made up of eyes and hands and feet and ears. And everybody's got a function, everybody's got a role in the local body. And not all those functions are the same functions. And oftentimes the hand tries to do the work of the eye and tries to do the work of the foot. And that's not right. It's not the way God designed us. It's not the way he designed the church. We're wasting abilities and opportunities. It slows spiritual growth. 
People grow when they're given opportunities to serve, when they're given tasks and responsibilities. They grow through that. And it slows spiritual growth when we say, they're not gonna do it the way I would do it, so therefore I'm not going to allow this person to have this responsibility, this task. Again, what happens when we fail to work with others? It feeds factionalism. There start to be little divisions within the body of Christ, little groups that look over across the auditorium at the other group and they say, well, they're not like us or they don't respect us. It feeds factionalism when we have this attitude. I'm gonna do it all myself. It robs God of his glory. I want you to think about as you're looking at 1 Corinthians 3, verses six through nine, I want you to think about how many times Paul gives God the glory in the work that's being done. Says it's not me, it's not Apollos, it's not anybody else. The people who sow the seed, the people who water the seed, they're nothing. It's God who gives the increase. God's the one that is honored. But you know, sometimes when I've done something important, when I've done something good, sometimes I want that glory for myself. I want people to recognize me and what I've done. When we fail to work with others, it's a way of robbing God of his due glory. And ultimately it causes souls to be lost. We are not to have an isolationist, lone ranger type of mentality when it comes to the work of the Lord. We're to work with others to the glory of God. As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, you'll notice that we are workers together, and this is the most important expression, with God. With God. What we're doing as Christians, both here in Katy and in the places where our missionaries work, we are laboring, but we're laboring with God. He is with us. He has promised to be so. He has promised to help us, to bless us, and to encourage the work that's going on. Even in difficult and discouraging times, we are workers with God. And if you didn't hear anything else from this lesson besides that, those words, with God, are critically important. If we forget that we're working with God, we might as well forget the whole thing. He's the one who blesses us. He's the one who strengthens us. He's the one who helps us in the work that he's given us to do. And he's the one that causes seed to produce fruit. He's the one that gets the glory for it all. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, not carnal, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. You think about it, you go to a place like Huron, North Dakota, South Dakota, and you start talking to people who don't know the Lord. Why should they change? What, what, what should be different about their life? The power is in the message. The power is in what God has placed in the word. Divine power to destroy strongholds. It changes people's lives because we work with God when we sow his seed. We're workers together with him. Nehemiah 6, 16, after they had finished the wall, I love what Nehemiah says. When our enemies heard that the wall was finished, the nations around us were afraid and they uh, fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived, they understood that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They could tell that what was going on in Jerusalem was no ordinary work, was no ordinary effort. Those people have a powerful God among them. That's what the enemy said. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tells us, as you have always obeyed, so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, will and to work for his good pleasure. 
We are workers together with God. And working together with God means that we ought to rise to the challenge that's before us. God has placed a challenge before all of us. Every single person in this room, God has said, the field is large. The world needs to know Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, the field is the world. World evangelism, it's what's on our hearts, what's on our mind. The need is great. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The harvest is white. It's ready. It's ripe. It's time to start the harvest. Stop saying four months and yet the harvest. No, the harvest is now, Jesus says, John 4, 35. The need is great. The time is now. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The time is now. The call is urgent. In the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, verse 6, the master goes and he sees some workers that are just standing around and he says, why do you stand here idle? Why are you just standing here? And they said, well, no one's hired us. And he said, go into my field and begin to labor. I wonder if God would look at us and say the same thing. Why are you standing here idle? What are you doing? Get busy in my service. Get busy in my field. Get busy sowing seed. I want workers. And the reward is certain. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible tells us that we are to be steadfast and immovable and to always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever we do for the Lord's sake, whatever we do in service to him, it's not in vain. God sees it, God remembers it, God recognizes it, will not forget in eternity. The labor that we have in the Lord is not in vain. We're gonna rise from the dead one day and celebrate victory with Jesus. Be workers while we're here. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through and we are workers together with God all along the way. And what a blessing it is to be able to say those things and to know that they're true. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just a bunch of words on a page. This is who we are. It's our identity. We are workers together with God. As we think about salvation, as we think about being Christians, maybe there is someone listening to me this morning who knows, you know that you need to obey the gospel once and for all. You've been thinking about it, you know it's something that needs to happen, but you just haven't made that that decision, you just haven't taken that step. Come to Jesus. Let him save you from your sin. Believe in him. Confess that he is the Christ, the son of God. Repent of your sin. Be baptized. Be immersed for the remission of your sins. That's how someone comes into a right relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Make that decision this morning before it's too late. Maybe you need to respond and ask for prayers. Whatever your need is, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?